If you were with us last week, we dealt with the priests. We've been looking at the tabernacle in some detail, and we looked at the ordination of priests or the consecration of a priest. Now, you say, you might ask the question, what is consecration about? Well, it's really a synonym for being set apart. It's to be consecrated to a specific purpose for God, and each of you have a specific purpose that God has for your life. You have good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. You are God's work of art, and he has good works for you and sets you apart unto those good works. The priests are a picture of our great high priest, Jesus, but also a picture of the priesthood of all believers. Exodus 29 is the passage. Let's uh, take a moment to pray one more time, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for the folks that have gathered tonight, those who will watch via live stream or even watch this later. We're grateful for your living word. We know it has uh, benefits for us. It is profitable in all areas of our life. You've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. All that we need is here and through the power of your presence in our lives. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us as we study your living word. May you be glorified in both the teaching and the way that we hear and act upon it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Exodus 29. The first part of the section was dealing with the consecration of the priests. And just to backtrack for a moment, go back to verse 19. This is uh, part of the sacrificial items or animals that were submitted for sacrifice. You shall take the other ram. This is a second ram. It's called the ram of ordination in verse 22. Some of you may wonder, just in brief, where we get the idea of ordination. Uh, this is one place where we get it. And an ordination is typically a ceremony where we set a man apart into the pastorate. We ordain that person into pastoral ministry. And there is a formal ceremony that takes place, uh, a formal service, where we charge that individual to hold up Scripture to teach it accurately, to live the priorities laid out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, and to be the kind of leader, a shepherd, after God's own heart. And there is a formal ceremony where that takes place. I had that happen to me actually in the summer of 1995, a long time ago. I was ordained to the public ministry. And I was set apart formally. This, there was already a calling on my life. I already felt an undeniable tug. And I would, would tell you that if those of you who are kind of thinking about ministry or wondering, well, what does it feel like when God calls a, a man into the pastorate? For me, it was an undeniable tug. I just felt like God was saying, this is what I have for you. This is what you're going to do. Now, not everybody's called into the pastorate, right? So you will feel, I, I think you will sense an undeniable tug into different areas of ministry. You say, what does that mean? Give me some more specifics. I think that something that you could do is you can try some different areas. If you're not quite sure about your spiritual gift, trust me, there's plenty of opportunities to serve. And sometimes what happens is that you will step into an area of ministry, 
and you will find yourself thriving there. You will find other people affirming that those are your gifts. That's one way to find out. Of course, the first and foremost way is seek the Lord through the word of God. But this is an is a ordination of the priests back in the Old Testament. And here's what happens. You shall slaughter the ram, 20, take some of its blood, and this is where we ended last time, put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the lobes of his son's right ears. The sons would be the future priests, or they would serve as lesser priests. And on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet, and sprinkle the rest of the blood around the altar. Now, we talked about last week, as we look at the places where the blood was placed or smeared, it's on the ear, which pictures a servant consecrated to God has his ear open, her ear open to the Lord. The thumb on the hand pictures that we should be doing the work of the Lord. And the toes, of course, picture the feet walking where the Lord would have us to go. When we hear what God has to say, then we're going to use our hands to do his work. We'll be his hands and his feet, and our feet will walk where he wants us to go. Amen? We often talk about the walk of the believer, that our members are to be consecrated unto service for the Lord. And this is what happens. You go from maybe you were using your body in a different way for the world. Now the Lord wants to take you, all of you, and use you now for his purposes, for his glory. To literally be his hands and his feet. To, to maybe, you know, touch people in a way that they experience the love of Christ. To listen to the leading of God so that you can use your life in his service. To walk where he would have you to walk, etc. Now, there's only one other place where this same application of blood occurs. And it's in Leviticus, which is the next book to the right. So let's turn over there, Leviticus chapter 14. Let me just show this to you because I think this speaks to what happens to a person when they go through a consecration unto God. So this is dealing with the idea of a leper being cleansed. Here's what it says. Uh, 14.8 of Leviticus. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe in water and be clean. Leviticus 14.8. Now, afterward, he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. We'll see seven in our uh, consecration ceremony. It will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all his hair. He shall shave his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean. Now, on the eighth day, he is to take two male lambs without defect, a yearling ewe lamb without defect, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and one log of oil, eleven. The priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed at the aforesaid before the Lord at the doorway, notice, of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Then the priest shall take the one male lamb and bring it for a guilt offering with a log of oil. Present them as a wave offering before the Lord. We're going to study the wave offering in Exodus in a moment. Next, he shall slaughter the male lamb in the place where the slaughter, they slaughter the sin offering and the burnt offering at the place of the sanctuary. So we're right back to that, uh, the bronze altar for the offerings. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall then take some of the blood of the guilt offering 
And the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. The priest shall also take some of the log of oil and pour it into his left palm. The priest shall then dip his right hand finger into the oil that is in his left palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of the oil seven times before the Lord. Of the remaining oil which is in his palm, the priest shall put some on the right earlobe of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, and the blood, and on the blood of the guilt offering. While the rest of the oil is in the priest's palm, he shall put it on the head of the one to be cleansed, so the priest shall make atonement on behalf, on his behalf before the Lord. Now, when a leper was cleansed, what would happen is this ceremony would occur. And it's the only other place that you will find the application of the blood to the ear, to the thumb, and to the big toe. What is the parallel between a leper being cleansed and a priest being consecrated? I would tell you this, that in both cases, it is a new beginning in life. In both cases, it's a person who was in one section of life. If you were a leper, basically you were in a leper colony, separated from the people, and now you were received back into the community, if you will. Remember, Jesus told the lepers that he had cleansed to go and show themselves to the priest. And remember, uh, of the 10 that he cleansed, only one of the lepers came back. I love to do Raul Reese when I remember Raul Reese preaching on uh, this particular passage, and Raul would say, he couldn't say leper, so he would say leopard, and he said it this way, only one of the leopards came back, man. And I, I thought, when did Jesus heal a leopard? <laughs> anyway, you get it. And so uh, here's, here's the cleansing, but this is the way I want you to think about applying it to your life. When you have been touched and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and then consecrated to God, there's a new way to hear, a new way to do life, and a new path to walk. Amen? And just as the leper experienced the power of cleansing from the old life, the old sin, what made that person unclean? The priest, in a different sense, went from a lay person, a lay person just simply means maybe someone who's in the congregation, to a special, set-apart, consecrated life unto God. And now he was here to, to hear the voice of God, to do the work of God, to touch the holy things, and to have his feet trod where few people could actually walk. And a consecrated life is a life that's been cleansed by the Lord, a life that's been put under the blood of the new covenant and a life now walking out those priorities. Is that you? Would you say I've experienced both the cleansing and the consecration to be set apart unto the Lord? I want to do what he's called me to do. Back to Exodus chapter 29. I can tell you that when I first became a Christian, I had experienced the power of justification because uh, getting saved just takes really a moment, right? 
You realize you're a sinner. You look to Jesus Christ. You look to what he's already done on the cross. And the moment you genuinely repent and believe, what happens? You're made into a new person. Immediately by the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But consecration is a bit of a different ballgame. Amen? Because to be set apart and to walk in the ways of God, to always have your ear open, your hands doing, your feet walking, is a whole different ballgame. It does take a commitment. It does take you wanting to be set apart unto God. And so that's a, a beautiful connection that I wanted you to see between the leper and the priest. Now, in 21 of Exodus 29, you should take some of the blood that is on the altar some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons and on his son's garments with him. So he and his garments shall be, here's our key word, consecrated as well, and as, his, as well as his sons and his son's garments with him. So now the consecration of the priests and so forth. This is, that was the last verse we did last time. And now we're going to segue into the covenant meal. Take a look. You shall also take the fat of the ram. The ram is the ram of ordination we see in, at the end of verse 22, the final ram to be offered. Take the fat of, from the ram, the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them and the right thigh, it is a ram of ordination, and one cake of bread, one cake of bread mixed with oil, one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread, which is set before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Now, as the priests go through this consecration slash ordination ceremony, something interesting occurs. Part of the sacrificial ram of ordination is taken. They take some of the bread, unleavened bread that we studied earlier, and they literally fill the hand. The second ram used as in the consecration ceremony is the ram of ordination. Um, the blood is applied to the ear, hand, and foot, and is more literally the ram of filling or the filling of the hand. Let me read just a moment from my notes. The term filling comes from an ancient custom in biblical times when someone was appointed as a king or a priest, an official would come forward to fill his hand. The term was used for ordination and installation, perhaps a staff or some form of tribute placed in the hand, a ruling staff, some money perhaps. The latter understanding fits better with the context here. Some tribute would be given as a sign of the ceremony. Some of you have done this. You have a grandchild or a son or a daughter. It's their birthday. And maybe you had an uncle like this. I, I would have uncles that would slip uh, some money into my hand. Hey, take this. Take, don't don't tell, your, tell your mom what I'm doing here. Be it like a $5 bill. Oh, uncle. Thank you, uncle. Right? And just kind of do something special. Well, the priest in the uh, ordination ceremony would have something that would fill the hand. In this case, what's put in the hands, look at verse 24, is the bread and parts of the animal, parts that will then be offered before the Lord. But before they're offered, 
a wave offering takes place. Now, some of you didn't know this, but the wave that you see at the stadiums began in the book of Exodus. Did you know that? Whenever you do the wave, this takes us all the way back to the book of Exodus. Now, that's sort of a joke, but sort of not. Because the wave offering literally was to take things that you would offer to God, and this is the original intent of the language, and hold them up to God. And so when we hold up our hands in worship, basically I think what we're saying to God is I'm offering all of me as a living sacrifice to you, O Lord. When you take things in your life, your personal life, your business, your marriage, your family, and you hold them up before the Lord, you are giving back to God what God gave to you. Amen? Everything that you have is God's. You would have nothing, John the Baptist put it this way, a man would have nothing unless it first been given to him from heaven. A woman would have nothing unless first it was given to you from heaven. Your beating heart is a gift from heaven. Your humanity is a gift from heaven. Everything that you are, the fact that you can think with the brain that's in your head, just, just ponder that for a moment. The fact, you, there are so many incredible aspects of the human mind that we don't even really fully understand beyond all supercomputers that you could imagine is the human mind. And God has given us all of that. And so as the priest receives gifts that will be sacrificed to the Lord, the first thing he does is wave them. Now, we don't really know for sure how this was done. Some people think that they took the sacrifice and simply just lifted it up to heaven. Some people think there was a, a literal, like, waving, like, back and forth. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but it was basically, this was the message. Lord, this belongs to you, and I'm going to sacrifice it. Now, in the New Covenant, we don't have animals to sacrifice, so what do we give to the Lord? We give ourselves as living sacrifices. And so here's what happens. The wave offering, they fill the hand, they wave the offering as a gift before the Lord. You shall take them 25 from their hands and then offer them up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering. And here's what happens. For a soothing aroma before the Lord, it is an offering by fire to the Lord. Now, after you waved it to the Lord, you put it on the altar of burnt offering. It went up in smoke to the Lord. Remember, this is the fattiest, juiciest parts of the animal. This is like, it's the idea of a barbecue. And the smoke went up to the Lord, and it was a fragrant aroma to God. And here's the image. When it was done right, God would go something like this. Oh, that smells good. Now, when I grew up in an Italian household, the smells were typically spaghetti sauce cooking on the stove, and I would walk in. Oh, yeah. Maybe there'd be some meatballs. It's a spicy meatball on the, you know, the stove or whatever it would be, and there would be a grandmother or my mom, and they would be, you know, kind of tasting it. And sometimes you get a little taste test of the sauce, and it's like, yeah, soothing aromas. 
Now, for those of you who like sweets, it could be cinnamon rolls in the oven. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Oh, ho, 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 ho. They never put enough frosting in that container with the cinnamon rolls. I could eat the frosting straight out of the, that thing. But anyway, here's the picture. It's an offering that goes up to the Lord, and it is a soothing aroma. It's the animal parts with the unleavened cakes and the oil and so forth. All of it put on the altar, waved to the Lord, and then offered up unto God. Hold that thought. Flip over to Philippians chapter 4. This is our passage for this coming Sunday, as the Lord would have it. A perfect parallel in imagery that the Apostle Paul uses as he's writing to the Philippian church, and he talks about how they had given to his need more than one time. He says at the, the very last chapter of Philippians uh, chapter 4, look at verse 15. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Philippians 4.16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. 18, I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. And here's our Old Testament language. A fragrant aroma, the New King James says a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, when the New Testament Philippian church offered sacrifice to Paul, the founder of the church, and supplied his needs more than one, while all other churches failed to do so, Paul reached back into perhaps the book of Exodus using Old Testament sacrificial language to say this, that when you sacrificially gave to my needs and my ministry, Paul might say, it went up as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Now, brethren, please hear what I'm about to say. Your life can do the same. You can live a life well-pleasing to God as you live a sacrificial, joyful life unto God. And when you do, your life can become a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Now, many of you know that in the Old Testament, when um, people groups like Sodom and Gomorrah's sin got so bad, God would say something like this. Those people's lives have become a, their sin has become what? a stench in my nostrils. And that was usually the time when God would say, and he is very patient when you read these accounts, enough is enough. That has become a stench. Now, you all know there's a great big difference between a sweet-smelling aroma and something that don't smell so good. In fact, some stuff in life literally stinks. And when God looks at us, or when he looks at the world that he made, some stuff is a stench in his nostrils, and some is a sweet-smelling aroma. And 
if you think about it, it all comes down to human lives. Now, the church is pleasing to God because we're in Christ, and that's the good news that we have in the New Covenant. But still, you can see that Paul is drawing a direct line from Philippians to Exodus and saying this, that in the same way that Old Testament priests offered the wave offering to God and offered a proper sacrifice unto the Lord, so the Philippian church, a church in the new covenant, could live in such a way that their lives would be a pleasing aroma to God. Now, I hope that you and I can step back with that imagery in mind and say, I wonder what my life is producing right now. And I want my life to be pleasing to the Lord. Indeed, I want to be a living sacrifice unto him, back to the book of Exodus. So there's some beautiful connections there. And we're in Exodus 29, verse 26. As Moses continues to lay out this ceremony, notice what happens next. You shall take the bread of Aaron's ram of ordination, or the ram of consecration, Exodus 29, 26, and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. And here's the key, and it shall be your portion. Now, the first wave offering and sacrifice was to God, and God always comes first. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he adds everything back to us. Amen? So we put the things of God first. We, we say, we give him the first fruits. Now, the second aspect in this ceremony is this. You take the breast of Aaron's ram, a, a different part of the animal. You can think of, well, some of us like chicken breasts, etc. And it's the, still the same ram of ordination. And wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. Now, the your portion is specifically written to Moses or for Moses because Moses is the presiding priest overseeing the ceremony of Aaron becoming the high priest and his sons becoming priests. Everybody with me? So the, the mediating priest here is Moses himself. But precedent will be set for future ordination ceremonies wherein the presiding priest will have his portion or the ones being ordained will have a portion. So the portion now goes to back to the priest. So this is uh, from a commentary. It says, the second ram after the ram presented as a burnt offering uh, had its life applied to the consecrated priest. First, its life was applied with the application of the blood to the ear, hand, and foot of the priest. Then through a ritual meal, its life was applied by the priest taking the ram into himself. This is from Gutzik. The eating did not begin the process of consecration. The eating came after the washing, the clothing, the blood atonement of the priest. The eating speaks of the continuing relationship of the priest with God. Let not the distinction be forgotten, says Spurgeon. The eating of the sacrifice is not intended to give life, for no dead man can eat, but to sustain life which is there already. A believer looks at Christ, and that makes them alive. But spiritual life must be fed and sustained. In this way, eating is a good picture of healthy, continuing relationship with Jesus. So here's the point. The second aspect of the wave offering is one waves it before the Lord, but then gets to eat 
or partake of it themselves. Think about it this way. When we talk about giving in the church, what do we usually say? The tithe is a good place to start. Now, the tithe is not a New Testament law. We've learned that together. It's a free will offering in the New Testament. But sometimes we say, okay, well, the principle of the tithe might be a pretty reasonable place to start. The tithe is what? It's 10%. That means out of every 10, you're getting nine. That's not a bad deal, right? Now, we're not talking about the, that we're under the tithe law because we're not. But here's the main point. God lets us have so much. We offer stuff to God, and then he lets us eat it. Example, you pray over a meal. What do you pray? Oh, Lord, thank you. And you're usually sniffing the food, and you're hoping people will pray quickly. Oh, thank you for this chicken breast in the name of Jesus. But you don't give it to God or burn it up. Some of you do because you're not very good cooks, but we won't go there tonight. But what do you do? You pray to God, thank you, Lord, for this gift I'm about to receive in Jesus' name. And then, right? And sometimes it's not just one helping. It's two or three helpings in Jesus' name, which we won't get into right now. But the point is that a portion, a great large portion of what we sacrifice, he lets us enjoy. Example, here we are in a church, right? And it has become the joy of my heart to teach the word of God, to serve God's people, and to do the things of his kingdom. I'm not saying it's always easy, but it is really the joy of my heart. The Lord allows me to enjoy something that in one sense you could say is a sacrifice, but it's really not. Amen? You all get where I'm going? The Lord lets me enjoy so much that I offer to him, but he just gives it right back to me. Here's an example. Every spiritual gift that you have is from the Lord. It's from the Holy Spirit. He's given it to you. And yet, he allows you to experience the joy of it, the fruit of it, and the reward of it. Do you know that one day when you get to the Bema Seat of Christ, you're going to be rewarded for things that you did from the, for the kingdom and the king but it will be the power of the Holy Spirit that allowed you to do them. And yet he's still going to reward you simply for using gifts that he gave you. Amen? That's a pretty good deal. That's who our God is. And so this is the beauty of the sacrifice. The Lord does not take it all. He allows us to enjoy a large part of it. Life. This is also waved before the Lord. Even what we keep is from him and to him. This is how Paul put it in Romans. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Romans 11.36. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then right into, listen, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a holy, living and holy sacrifice. Right back in to the Old Testament sacrificial language. Paul celebrates the goodness of God the, the great knowledge of God, and then says, now live your life in response to that as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to prove what the will of God is, 
what, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then right in Romans 12, and I think most of you know it, he goes right into spiritual gifts and says, if you have the gift of teaching, then teach. If you have the gift of serving, then serve. If you have the gift of, you know, helps, then help. If you have the gift of administration, then administrate, etc., etc. Do you get it? Employ those gifts in serving God and his body. But know that as you do, God wants them offered back to him, but he lets you enjoy them. You shall consecrate, 27, the breast of the wave offering, the thigh, these are some of the favorite parts for some of you, of the heave offering, which, it, which was waved and which was offered from the ram of ordination. From the one which was for Aaron and from the one which was for his sons, and it shall be for Aaron, the first high priest now, look at 28, and his sons as their portion forever. From the sons of Israel, it is a heave offering or a wave offering, and it shall be a heave offering from the sons of Israel, from the sacrifices of the peace offerings, even the heave offering to the Lord. If you're interested, the word heave literally means something held up. Thus, God hosts a meal, communing with a worship or worshiper or a servant, and the priests here are in view. The sacrifice is celebrated, the covering of sin, forgiveness by God, restoration of a right and meaningful relationship with God, and it reminds us of communion with our God. And so Aaron and his sons enjoy a communal meal. And I took you through the aspects of the ceremony. They kind of fit our redemption. There's a sacrifice made, and its blood is a sin atonement. There's holy garments given. There's a washing, holy garments given, an anointing happening, and a consecration, and then a communal meal. And this is the way it works. We get saved by the blood of the Lamb. We get set apart. We put on the holy garments of salvation, the righteousness of Christ. We're set apart, we're washed, we're sanctified, we're anointed, and then we commune with our God. And we do that spiritually, but last week, at the end of our service, what did we do? We all came forward and we, we received the elements of what? Of the Lord's Supper, of communion. And that became another picture of who we are in Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door... I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. The Lord wants to dine with you and you with him. He wants you to slow down, be still, and know he is God. You aren't. Amen? <laughs> he is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. And so we slow down and we say, Lord, I'm going to give you the first fruits of my life. I want to be set apart, open my ear, use my hands, use my feet, etc. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be 29 for his sons after him, that in them they may be anointed and ordained. Now, if you're taking notes, God is setting precedent in verses 27 through 29 and saying this is how the future is going to work from the line of Aaron or the Levitical line in generations to come of priests. And here now he goes back to the overall ceremony. For seven days, this is the seven-day ordination ceremony, 
the one of his sons who is priest in his stead shall put them on the holy garments when he enters the tent of meeting or tabernacle to minister in the holy place. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket, where? At the doorway of the tent of meeting. Thus they shall eat these, those things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But a layman, this is kind of a normal citizen or congregant, shall not eat them. Why? Because they are holy. Now, it would appear from my reading of this text that this seven-day ceremony all happens within the tabernacle itself. So basically for a week, the priests being ordained live there. Sacrifice is made, anointing is made, washing is made in the bronze labor, etc. The communal meal takes place within the tent of meeting, and God sets those priests apart in a seven-day ordination ceremony. Seven is the number of what? Completion or perfection. And at the end of the seven days, it's not some easy one, two, three ceremony. It's a process. It's a week of being set apart unto God. And they are set apart as holy. No outsider should uh, partake. This is only for those who have been set apart because the meal is set apart for this specific thing. Here's an example. When we do communion in the Christian church or the Lord's Supper, it's set apart for a specific purpose. What is it for? Well, the matzah and the juice now signify the gospel and people who are in Christ. Amen? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, you don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And we need to understand that when Paul addressed the Corinthian church, he was basically addressing a group of people who were gorging the, at the love feast and drinking all the wine before other people even got there. And they were drunk at a church service, basically what was going on. Now, I have a story I've shared in the past, but it's kind of humorous and shows the point. I was a young up-and-coming preacher, and I was asked to share the communion meditation during the Lord's Supper on an Easter Sunday. Place is packed. People are all dressed up. One of the first times I'm speaking to the congregation. And I start in on sharing a little, you know, communion devotion. And this guy, I can tell he's making a ruckus here on my right. And, you know, I'm hearing a little, and I'm starting to try to talk over what's going on louder and louder. And finally, this went, seemed like it went on for eternity. The guy stands up in the middle of an Easter Sunday service, looks to the back of the church, and yells, Tell that guy to stop looking at me! Well, <laughs> you could say I was a little discombobulated. There was no sense in trying to talk over him anymore. <laughs> so I said, sir, sit down and respect what's going on. And he was like, yes, pastor. And he sat back down. Ushers came up, and they kind of wrestled him out of the church. And I went on. Everybody, calm down. Ooh, ooh. Everybody, calm down now. Finish the communion meditation. And later, I asked the ushers, what was up with that guy? They said, oh, he was on a three-day alcohol binge, and he thought that the communion juice was real alcohol, and he was trying to keep his buzz going. <laughs> so he couldn't wait for the elements to come by so he could knock back several of the little communion things. 
which I think he thought were shot glasses. <laughs> now, you all know that in the Christian church, it was simply grape juice, so it was going to do nothing for him. But I will tell you, at one 8 a.m. service one Sunday at a church in Orange, we did communion at a first service, and I think the grape juice had turned because I drank the juice, and I was like, whoa, good morning, good night. Anyway, it's another story. What was my point? I really, I don't know now. Anyway. Oh, I was talking about communion. So here's the point. When we take of the Lord's Supper, we, we will, you will often hear me say, if you're not a believer, then this is not for you. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. It, it has no holy significance for someone who's not in Christ. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I'm just saying that if you're going to take this, these elements have been set apart for this purpose. If you're going to get into the waters of baptism, a, a, a tub of water is a very common thing, but not when it's set apart for baptism. Amen? I, I baptized a young man in our pool. Our pool's our pool. We jump in the pool all the time. But once that young man decided to be baptized on that day, that water was now consecrated for that purpose. And this is why these folks are told no outsider, no layperson is to partake of it. Look at 34. And if any of the flesh of ordination of, or any of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten. Why? Because it's holy. Now, the sacred meal was for the priests I don't know why it could not be kept until morning. I know that this was true of the manna. Remember when the manna was given? God said, you are to uh, gather it up morning by morning. Don't try to keep it overnight except for the Sabbath. Because if you do, it will breed what? Worms. Now, what was the message? Well, every day we need fresh manna. Amen? And so every day, morning by morning, we need to meet with the Lord. In Lamentations 3, verse uh, 22, it says the mercies, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. You don't need to live on leftovers, brethren. He's got new mercies for you every day you wake up. Amen? That could be the message. I don't know for sure. But the writer of Lamentations says, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But listen, the Lord is my portion. Lamentations 3.24 says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. And so I think there's a message in there about the new mercies, perhaps. I'll let you chew on that. And thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all 35, that I've commanded you, you shall ordain them through seven days. So there's the seven. Each day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. You shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it. You shall anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days you shall make atonement for the altar because it has to be set apart as holy and consecrate it. Then the altar shall be most holy 
Whatever touches the altar shall be holy. And now we transition to a morning and evening sacrifice, which will be ongoing. Notice. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning. This is now kind of the priest duties uh, looking afar off. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. There shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a libation with one lamb. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it, offer with it the same grain offering as the morning and the same libation. And here's our language again. For a soothing aroma and offering by fire to the Lord. Now in Israel's uh, history in the tabernacle and later in the physical temple, a morning and evening sacrifice occurred every day. And you'll read some Bible accounts where it says it was the time of the morning or the evening sacrifice. And you might say, what does that mean? What that means is it was the time for the lamb to be offered e either in the morning, which my understanding was nine in the morning, or in the afternoon at twilight, which my understanding was three in the afternoon. Josephus tells us that Jesus died on the Passover at three in the afternoon. And that was the time that Israel considered the evening sacrifice to be twilight. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, fulfilled the offering picture. And so when we re we've read Hebrews together on multiple occasions, studying uh, Exodus, because we know Hebrews is a commentary on the book of Exodus and Leviticus and others. And what do we discover? Well, we discovered that the priest had to make ongoing sacrifices. One priest, high priest would die. Another one would take his spot. Sacrifice after sacrifice. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. And it was impossible for those sacrifices to take away sin. But then the Lamb of God came who takes away our sin once and for all. And he fulfills the imagery of these sacrifices, both for priest and for layperson. And this was the history of Israel. A morning and evening sacrifice, a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And Psalm 1 verse 2 says, we're to read the law of God day and night. And then what will we be like? A tree firmly planted by streams of water. In the new covenant, we don't offer animals anymore. The sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Jesus. What do we offer then? Ourselves, our ears, our eyes, our minds, our hands, our feet, our hearts. And we say, Lord, here I am. Send me, use me. And what we offer to God is a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, Hebrews 13, 15. We share with others. We read our Bibles. We meditate on the word of God day and night, morning and evening, if you will. And what do we find? Our life becomes fruitful. Our leaf does not wither. Here's what it says, literally. And whatever we do will 
prosper. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Now, it's not so with the wicked. Because the wicked does not partake of the things of God. And the wicked is not connected to the vine. John chapter 15. And so he cannot produce life. You have a tree in your backyard. The moment that it is separated from the trunk, a branch gets separated. It dies. It's a matter of minutes often. Why? Because no life source is going into it anymore. But for the believer connected to the vine, the life of God is a constant flow. But the flow is largely dependent upon how much you decide you're going to read the book. Or are you going to take time to pray to the high priest who's available 24-7 and you can go boldly into the Holy of Holies? Our lives, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, can become a fragrant aroma to God as we're consecrated. And so it shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations, 42, at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you the whole purpose of the tabernacle is that God would tabernacle or meet with his people and to speak to you there. Now we come back to the big picture. These are the final verses. And I will meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, and the altar. And I will also consecrate, Hebrew idiom is to fill the hand, Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. We see this language in Revelation 21 and 22. We will see God's face. He will be our God, wiping away every tear from our eyes, etc. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them the word to dwell is the, is the idea of the tabernacle. And then it ends with, I am the Lord, their God. Now, I'm going to have you turn to Le Leviticus 9 and ask Sarah to come up to the front. Leviticus 9, so just the next book to your right. So this is where it happened. They performed the ceremony as God laid it out. And in Leviticus uh, 9, we have the culmination We'll, we'll go back just a few verses so you can take a look. Look at 9.17 of Leviticus. So here's where they actually perform the ceremony. Next, he presented Leviticus 9.17, the grain offering, and filled his hand with some of it, offered it up in smoke on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he slaughtered Leviticus 9.18, the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people, and Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around the altar, or on the altar. As for the portions of fat from the ox and from the ram, the fat tail and the fat covering and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver, they now placed the portions of fat on the breasts, and he offered them up and spoke on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord, just as Moses had commanded, 922. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. 
Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Holy God, thank you for your holy word. I think the application to us is clear that we are a priest in a new covenant. And what we offer is not animals, but ourselves. Not as dead sacrifices, but as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to our God. And when our ears are open and our hands and feet are set apart, the glory of the Lord is further seen on the earth because we are going from one degree of glory to another by the power of the Holy Spirit as we're consecrated to our God. We want to be a light to our generation, Father. Forgive us for the times that we've been silent or not been a very bright light. But help us as a church and as your people to be set apart unto our God. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. But our sanctification, we have a part to play. And we need to open the word of God, offer ourselves to you afresh each day, Lord. And we know that you have more than enough mercy and grace for each of us each day. So help us to just simply trust you and to offer ourselves one day at a time, fresh each morning. Your mercies are more than enough. And with your head and heart bowed, in a moment of worship, whatever you've got to wave to the Lord, maybe something you need to offer that needs to be burned up in your life, that's holding you back, extend the hand and give it to the Lord. He'll give you the grace that you need. It could be a relationship. It could be a struggle that you have with sin. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just some work of the flesh. Maybe you have some spiritual warfare going on in your life and you feel like you're losing right now and you need the power of God. He's here and he's available. Call upon his name. If you're not a believer tonight, you're here for a reason, and that is that God wanted you to know that he loves you and that his son came and died on the cross for you, and he's got a plan for your life, but you've got to surrender. You've got to ask him to be your Lord and your Savior, your King, to make you what you cannot be on your own, what I cannot be, holy. You need the righteousness of Christ, and it's available if you would call on his name and repent of your sin. And then for the dear saints that are listening right now, Father, areas of consecration for us, areas that we need to lay down and wave before you and re-offer up to you. Help us with that, Lord. You are so good and so gracious. Bless your people tonight. Fill us afresh with your spirit.